Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Hey, hey there, and welcome to the Hawkeye Hotspot Podcast. Thursday, November the 9th, 9.15 a.m. Central. Thereabouts, I am Rob Howe, joined by Scott Docterman from The Athletic. We got a lot to talk about today. Hopefully, we can get through all this stuff. I actually had to write things down and prepare for this podcast, which is out of my comfort zone. I usually fly by uh, the seat of my pants, but had to organize some things this morning. Uh Scott, I was looking through, and we'll get to uh, a little bit to signing day yesterday, but uh, I went through the the women's release that was sent to us and saw um, A.J. Guyton's daughter <laughs> with Iowa. So that was my, oh, crap, you're old moment of yesterday. Uh, A.J. Guyton's daughter, who I covered when he was at Indiana, uh, is now going to play for the Hawkeyes starting next year. It, you know, it's an amazing class, but yes, uh, every year I think we start to go, we start to feel that those old bones, you know, and uh, this is certainly another one. Uh, when you start to see players that you covered and p- covered when you weren't necessarily like young, you yeah. know, when you're one, exactly. you're like a real journalist type of thing. Not when, Hey, I'm right out of school and I'm, or I'm at the, you know, college newspaper. And when you see this, this is one that really sticks out uh, to, to me, you know, but, uh, but overall, I mean, when you've got four top 100 pick or prospects, um, I think that's damn impressive, um, especially for what she's been able to do. I won't, we don't have to go far into the weeds here because I think we'll talk about it more during the season, but it would be hard for me to think about, and I know you've written about this, just the far reaching impact Caitlin Clark has had on this program because, you know, I, I Ava Hyden, I did a podcast with her. Uh, a while back. She's the center from Oregon who's in this class as well. Really, really good player. I encourage people to check her video out. She's uh, she's going to be the next one in the the line of big, big stars, literally and figuratively at Iowa. But um, she was talking about the impact of Caitlin and getting a chance to meet her when she came out to visit and those things. And could you, I mean, what, what, if you're like a, a high school kid and you come to visit Iowa and you get to meet Caitlin Clark, that's God, that's just, that's gotta be so impactful. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you're looking at like um, when they were in Seattle and they met Sue Bird and you saw their faces, um, you know, like, wow, you know, that's, she came to their practice and that's just a really a, an amazing thing. So um, I, I think in some ways what you do is you, you start to look at this and you're like, um, Caitlin has such a far-reaching impact on the sport, um, on women's sports as a whole, but also, yes, the University of Iowa. When you could see somebody like that who's on all these major, um, you know, really, uh, you know, every network. I mean, they're they're barely going to play on something that you can't that 
you don't have to pay for. I mean, Peacock notwithstanding. So I think, you know, seeing an Aaliyah Guyton and Ava Hyden, I mean, they're, they're players that um, they could go anywhere. And they picked Iowa because of Caitlin Clark and coming here. She's just a, she's like Michael Jordan, you know, of, of college sports for, for women's basketball. And, and I think you get athletes a little starstruck when they, when they see that. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit later on. The women play tonight, huge game, Virginia Tech, uh, kind of in a setup uh, feature game that will be nationally televised. Like, interested to see what the ratings will be for that um, down the road a little bit. But uh, I think we have to start, Scott, with the news from last night, and you were all over this. Um, not good news for Iowa on any front, really. Uh, Noah Shannon certainly – uh, the headliner of this news, uh, Iowa's sixth-year senior defensive tackle will not be able to play this year uh, after getting after getting his hopes up a few weeks ago. Actually, it's been a while now, even longer than that. A few weeks ago, we were supposed to find out uh, and didn't. Um, but the NCAA has now made it uh, official that if you bet on a sport at your school, it is a one-year suspension, which uh, no Shannon falls into that category, as do Iowa wrestlers and our friend Chad Leistico, who you can hear with Scott <laughs> in yeah. a couple hours on their podcast. He would give you all the hawk talk you need here on Thursday mornings. Um, he confirmed with Terry Brands, Iowa assistant wrestling coach, that um, – and you may have had this too, Scott. I just saw this on social media. Abe Asad – Nelson Brands, Tony Cassiope, Colby Sebrecht also join Noah Shannon in, in missing their seasons. I looked back, uh, Oklahoma State, Scott, was the last duel last season. Uh, those four guys I just mentioned were in Iowa's starting lineup, along with Spencer Lee, Max Murin, and Jacob Warner, who are all gone now. So that's seven of your starting lineup in the last duel you had for Iowa wrestling that will not be there this year. Yeah. It's uh you know, it's, it's a conclusion that I'm glad at least it's over, but it, it's one that really, I, you know, I have a lot of different thoughts about this and let, let's start with the, the, the negative side <laughs> because let's bash the NCAA for you know, some of this. And that is, um, a month ago, when we found out that they were going to probably re- there were recommendations to change the guidelines to allow, unless you're betting on your own team, that you would only receive education and then to allow those athletes to return to practice. Um, a month later, that, that's nothing but a tease. That really, to me, is the biggest problem here with what was finally adjudicated. And that was that you, toyed with somebody's emotions that you made it look like they were um, that they were going to play again, you know, in football or they were going to be eligible in in the winter sports. And instead you took it all away a a month later and, you know, there was supposed to, you know, the, the, the meeting was supposed to take place. I think it was October 26th, I believe somewhere around there. And then now here we are, um, or, you know, 25th, one of the two. And then here we are. And it's just like, I can't, you know, 
for, for Noah Shannon, for Deshaun Hanukkah too, for Iowa State and plus the wrestlers at Iowa, but specifically the football players, three quarters of the way through the season, they were allowed about a month ago to start returning to practice. And now, no, you're not going to play. You lose a year of eligibility for, for Hanukkah and for some of the wrestlers, they can return, but for, uh, you know, Shannon, it's over. And I think that's really grossly unfair based on what transpired a month ago. Yeah, I don't, I know you have excellent connections at the athletic people that do great work and have uh, really good sources on this. So I don't know what transpired in the last month, two weeks. Uh, but it almost feels like Scott that they're making an exa- example of these guys, these, these kids. Um, because they could have easily just said, listen, we're going to let these guys compete this year. And then we're going to work towards legislation, rules, guidelines to put into place next school year. Because you've been screwing around with this since the spring when we first heard about this. And, you know, you let the spring athletes hang out to dry. Then they had, then this went through all summer and you've put, you know, these student athletes in limbo for months. You're playing with their lives. They're also student athletes. They got to go to school and study. I don't know when Shannon's a six-year yeah, guy. Right. I don't know what he's studying at this point, but hopefully he's getting gaining some knowledge out of whatever it is. But <laughs> it just feels like this organization, which we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast, is always reactionary instead of proactive, um, is doing it again here and costing student-athletes again. Uh, I looked this up, Scott. Um, I actually, like I said, I did preparation for this podcast. I hope everybody is happy with that. Now I need to find <laughs> what I pulled up about um, some gambling numbers. Um, it was in the billions, put it that way, um, for 2022. Um, well in the business, billions, sports gambling handles in this country. So oh, I found it. Legal sports, this is from front office sports. Legal sports books handled 93.2 billion in bets last year. Another record and a 61.1 increase over 2021 handle. Look at all the NCAA institutions and the NCAA works for these institutions. Look at how much money they're making out of this and they're going to punish a these kids for wagering on a team at their and, and we know what this is women's basketball. They, I mean, it just it it doesn't feel Scott like the punishment fits the crime here. And if you feel like, hey, we got to put our foot down, and we've talked about the pitfalls of allowing student athletes to bet on sports, other sports at their school, inside information, all of that stuff. Um, but this just feels like overly overreaching punishment here. And if you want, like I said, if next year, if you want to, if you want to put into place next year, okay, everybody knows the rules now. If you bet on anybody, any team in at your school, it's a one year suspension. And I'm not saying that these guys didn't know that there was a chance that they would get in trouble. They do they do absorb some of the responsibility in this. We all knew that this was not kosher and they did it anyway yeah that that's the problem that they knew it was it was a problem they bet and then they got caught 
um, because, well, we'll find out a little bit more of the ramifications as we go and probably once football season ends. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, it seems very overzealous by law enforcement um, to, to start targeting two campuses, not three or four in the state. And to have it only be a state agency in Iowa to really do this, I think that really you start with that, and it's really um, seems like the governor rough. governor supported it too. Yeah, her comments. Yeah, well, she's backing up law enforcement, but let's see what what the tune is when everything comes out. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the uh, I, I think you know overall, you know, I'm not opposed to a one year ban for somebody betting on their own school. You know, I I think in the very beginning, especially when we were starting to learn details of that, we talked ad nauseum about those types of situations because they do constitute somewhat of a conflict of interest and somewhat of a, of a, of an issue, I would say. Um, But by and large, you, you know, even when you start to compare like, you know, Deshaun Hanica with Noah Shannon, Shannon's was very innocent by, by standards. I mean, Hanica had allegedly bet 70 times on the cyclones and, and he was charged and then the charges were dropped because Story County prosecutors didn't file those charges 45 days from his, uh, waiver of his preliminary hearing, you know, whereas Noah Shannon was never charged. Uh, this seems to be the only event. I mean, so it's kind of like what Beth Getz said in the very beginning when when the NCAA started this up, which was this was overly harsh. What transpired to some extent over the last month was once these the recommendations got out, then um, some of the um, it, the officials on that committee had heard from people who thought. Ooh, that is pretty light when you start to talk about people betting on their own school, that they're only going to get education for that because of all the issues that we've talked about. And so that's why they decided to wait two weeks and postpone it. And, and again, the clock was ticking for Noah Shannon at that point. And it's like, well, there goes the Minnesota game. Maybe you'll get a chance to play against Rutgers and then, and then to have this happen and then lose a year of eligibility along with it for him. That's you're done. You know, you, you don't you don't have any wax back. So uh, that's really a the unfortunate part of it. And I think we can agree that knowing Noah over these years, it just feels wrong. It feels wrong for him personally. The others I can't speak for. I don't know the wrestlers as well. Um, again, you know, it's some of the things with Deshaun Hanica. It's not. I wouldn't feel as strongly to to say anything. But with Noah Shannon in particular, it just and this is he was made an example of in Iowa and Iowa State's athletes were made an example of. And and this is really the unfortunate part of of this whole situation. I'm trying to find what's fair. Like you said, if Annika bet 70 times compared to Noah Shannon's once or twice, do they deserve the same punishment? You would think common sense would tell you no. Um, but then if the guideline is. You bet on you. You bet it all on one of the teams on your campus. Boom! That's one year, no yeah. matter if it's a one or seventy. So I get that too. The biggest problem, and I think the big you would agree with this, Scott. And I think uh, Kirk. This is what's made Kirk Ferentz so angry, and Terry Brand so. And obviously, Terry has a, a direct yeah. connection to this. But um, is the is the toying with the emotions? It's the the lack of. Um, 
I guess just like it going, just building from the spring and just figuring, just leaving guys out, hang out to dry, not knowing what their futures is, is leaving them in limbo and then coming back a month ago and giving them hope and letting them practice. And he's working his ass off to get back so he can play in the game. And then you pull the rug out from under him again a month later. That's just, I think doing that as an NC as, as an NCAA at the bureaucracy of overlooking and trying to look out for student athletes, this is the complete opposite of that. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. And, and that is that had they been punished, they were punished at the beginning of the year. His appeal was denied. He was looking at it in a certain way. Um, in Noah Shannon's case, and then the wrestlers too, because they have a full season ahead of them, but, but specifically because the football season's going on that, and then all of a sudden, okay, we're revisiting this and it looks like we're going to pass this. And yes, by the way, the, and I was asking in Iowa State too, as for clarity about this. Yes, they can return to practice while this is being decided. And then, you know, well, we're going to postpone it. And then two weeks later, well, we're going to, uh, no, that's not going to be the case. The toying of emotions is just uncalled for here. Um, you know, whether, you know, to, to go all the way back to when they announced that they were going to revisit these guidelines, had they not brought up anything, any of the possible outcomes, then that, then there's no real harm done that they're just going to revisit this and then they're going to try to streamline it and maybe, you know, but now at this stage to take away that hope, you know, that the, that's, that's really demeaning by that organization. And I think they owe, I think they owe them an apology for this. I, I don't think this is a fair outcome based on, again, what they said in early October versus to how they, uh, their, their final, uh, situ, you know, final analysis here in, in early November. Yeah. Just giving them hope and then pulling it away was, was really, Unfortunate and probably the worst part of this whole process, I thought. And um, as I, I think I mentioned this on the podcast, what, after I saw Noah downtown uh, walking his dog, and it was right, it was about a month ago. It was right after he heard that he could get back to practice. And he had told me then that he was feeling good, that he was going to be back like in a week. Um, and he was so happy and so upbeat about it to think about what his feelings and emotions were yesterday. It just, it kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Cause I, I, Scott and I yeah. have been fortunate enough to get to know Noah. Oh, I, I covered him in recruiting too. I've known Noah for almost a decade now. Um, and it just, it sucks. It really sucks. And uh, I, I, the one thing that's good, Scott, is I don't worry about Noah in life. Uh, he's going to be a success no matter what he does. Cause he approaches life the right way. Uh, he has the right priorities. He's just a, a good kid, which makes this even even harder to take. Yeah, it does. And I guess if there's anything that he that's positive for, here for him out of this, and it's not this, obviously, I'm not gonna. I'm I'm just gonna try to throw some sprinkle some sugar on some shit. But um, it, it's that you know he was able to come to Iowa and have his surgeries on his labrum, I believe it was in the spring rehab it, get cleared for, you know, be healthy, then do some practicing in the fall, um, showed his commitment to the team by remaining with the team, you know, cause frankly, you know, I kind of wondered, 
in early September, you know, when, when this all came down that he, if you're him, do you just walk away? <laughs> You'd say, all right, fine. I'm going to drop out of school. I'm going to go work out on my own. No, he stayed with it. He stayed with the team. He wanted to be part of the team and he helped all of his, you know, players and, and, you know, his teammates and younger teammates and then worked himself back in. And it, it's really unfortunate because he's such a good young man. And now if he can, um, you know, put himself in a position of maybe he can become a free agent in the NFL. I don't, I don't really see him being drafted, especially after this situation, but get with a team, potentially compete and land with an NFL club. That's certainly possible. Um, but if not, it, or if it's very short lived, he has proven a lot. He has proven his commitment and everybody knows the metal of his character. So I don't, I think he's going to be just fine in life. It's just really a rotten situation that he was dealt. And it's not, you know, it's completely different, but it's not that different, you know, being kind of collateral damage to the NCAA machine is Drew Ott, you know, that, oh, he played just a little bit too much and nope, we're not going to, you know, let him come back and, and ultimately, it cost him. He he legitimately was an NFL guy, no question in my yep. mind. He would have been third round or better, but he needed to get healthy in order to play. And then he, you know, just I, I think that's really where we are right now with this. And um, you know, the NCAA needs to needs to look at itself a little bit more. And and it's not just a you know monolithic empire, you know, with all these people in offices in Indianapolis because this is constituted by commissioners and schools and reps and they're looking at it and, and they're identifying things. So, it, but it's a bureaucracy with a bureaucracy and it's really, and when you see the small people get ran over like a Zamboni, that's when it, that ever, it's when it really comes to life that they need to be a little bit better than what they are. Iowa coaching staff has a tremendous NFL connections um i would be really surprised if noah shannon doesn't at least get a camp tryout yeah he's gonna he's gonna get a look and then it's up to him and hopefully this um you know being out of action for this long doesn't hurt him and he's not too rusty when it is time for him to get in there and and work out you know and try to make a team um we've seen plenty of uh iowa guys uh travel that path and have success so we wish him the best i guess you know we've we've talked about the personal side of this scott um from a football standpoint um he certainly would have been uh a, a a great addition to this defense um that said this defense is still damn good without him and you know i it, put it this way it'd be worse if he was the star wide receiver <laughs> yes. You know, yes. I mean, so that said, we're going to use this to segue into uh, a quick look back at Northwestern and then some uh, thoughts on Rutgers as well. We'll just kind of stay on the football train here and then we'll get into some basketball, some other things in a bit. Uh, one thing that I wanted to start with before we dug in, Scott, and because I, I know people have asked me about this, I'm sure I've asked you, it's out there. The Caleb Johnson situation, you and I were both very high on him coming into the season. I thought he he may have been my breakout player. Yeah, I was. So, I mean, I, I did not see this coming. 
Um, and I'm not going to take anything away from Jazzy on Patterson or Leshawn Williams because I think they're playing really well. And I think Iowa, we talked about yeah, this offense is they're good at running back. They've got a good stable of running backs. They really do. Um, I had heard that it was an illness with Caleb, that he wasn't feeling well last week, that he had a, a bit of a bug that may have cost him some practice time. The coaches don't like when you miss practice. It just seems like one of those kind of weird situations that we've seen before with coaches and players here that it's hard to connect all the dots, but we've seen it before. So we know, I mean, look at somebody like Caleb Brown, mm-hmm. who was got himself in the doghouse a little bit earlier this season, made the big play against Northwestern, right? Made the big catch. So I would I would caution people to overreact to this, but I would say it is something. It's not nothing. Yeah, agreed. And I guess you know there there's there's part of me also that looks and says, did you you know Lashawn Williams is playing really well, yes. and I don't know that I'd want to take him off the field. I mean, you see the way he attacks defenders and attacks the hole and everything. Um, he hits it really, really hard. And Patterson has a different gear. He's not as physical, but he's not weak by any stretch. But he's he's quicker and he's more elusive, you know. So it's funny if you look if you stood those two guys up next to each other without pads and you say, Okay, who's the power back? Yeah, the right. Guy, the guy who runs people over. Yeah. Caleb Johnson looks like Adonis. Oh, I know. He's got the he's just got a massive build and a frame and, and everything. And I guess I just I wonder. You know, Lashawn Williams. What has he done to be taken off the yeah. field? He's he's been the healthy one all year. Yeah. And, and then when you need the change of pace, Patterson provides it. You know, a little bit quicker. He gets to the hole a little bit faster, and uh, can can scoot around the edge. So that kind of puts Caleb Johnson as well. Where do you fit in? Now, I think I I, I do believe that he's got more upside than the the other two, but he also is a long strider in this. You know, and, and when you have a team that has no passing game, um, you, you kind of need – you don't really need a long strider at running back. You need a – just an incredibly, you know, like LaShawn Williams gets the whole – hits the whole hard and six yards. I, I Great. say the same thing about Jazz. Yeah, and he does too. He hits it hard, and that's the one knock on Caleb is does he run hard enough all the time? Does he yeah. get the – does he maximize his natural gifts? Exactly. And and even when you see the younger ones that played earlier this year when there were injuries, they did a nice job of that too. Um, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a Nostradamus to go, somebody's probably going to leave this. You know, who's it going to be? And – I guess we'll find out the rest of the way because we know at this position injuries happen, but um, don't be surprised if somebody leaves and, you know, and then today's world and, and I would caution people from getting too upset unless it's two out of three, then I would get upset. But if one of them leaves, move on. It just, it's part of it, you know, just the way it works. And um, now, you know, all three leave, then, then start freaking out, but you know, yeah, no doubt. And uh, it would be one thing if, if, like Scott said, if the other two backs weren't performing, um, but they are. Um, yeah. If you look at this offense right now, those are probably your best 
your best options right now um, are those two guys and probably Addison the Stringer, who's really developing nicely uh, at tight end. But um, going back to that game, Scott, uh, uh, at Northwestern, uh, I didn't have a chance to ask you. I asked Chad and, and uh, Tom Cakert about this on Tuesday, but people don't understand or people are not that they don't understand. They just, they don't see us on Tuesdays, but we're just like, chickens with our heads cut off trying to get to as many interviews as we can with our little bit of access that we get to the players. But I didn't get to ask that on Tuesday, long story short, as a Cubs fan, what it was like covering a game in Wrigley. Chad and Tom were gushing over the experience. Was it like that for you? Yeah, absolutely. It was fantastic. I, I covered one there when in 2012 when Iowa played at Soldier and uh, Fran McCaffrey threw out the first pitch. And it was kind of funny at the time he's, you know, I was standing kind of behind home plate and off to the side and it kind of was coming for me. And luckily the catcher caught it and he just kind of said, I was aiming for you. And, and uh, <laughs> he, he, he was, he was joking at the time, probably not now, but, <laughs> but uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, so I'd only been there once in that capacity several times, of course, as a fan. And uh, I loved everything about it. I thought it was just great. Loved the layout of it. I loved you know, just being able to see the bleachers and, and see the the field. It, it, you know, I'm a Bears fan too, and I, I kind of have some Bears history. And they played at Wrigley until 1971, and so I, you know, I, the stat I wanted to throw out there in the worst way was there had been no punt returns there since Gale Sayers' sixth touchdown in 1965, <laughs> and I was waiting for Cooper DeGene to, to explode, and he just about did there one on one of them, but um, but I. I, you know, and Kirk poo-pooed the whole thing afterwards. And I'm like, come on. I mean, you know, Wrigleyville was black and gold. It was, there was, there are very little Northwestern fans comparatively for being a, a Northwestern home fan. Again, I mean, they're, they're getting booed, you know, when they came, took the field and, you know, and, and it, it was such a cool, it was like a bowl game. But it was like different because it mattered more, and the fans were just more into it because Chicago is kind of it's Big Ten country. It's certainly kind of an outpost for the for Iowa. I I thought if you could play there every other year, right, you know, do it. And and of course, <laughs> Kirk's complaining. Both teams need to co-sign on this stuff, and you're like, <laughs> oh, stop it. I mean, this is the other teams you know, home game. They can play wherever they want. And they're gonna have to play at different places here once the field mm-hmm. starts getting torn torn down. I don't know if it'll be Wrigley or Soldier or, you know, guaranteed rate stadium or some high school out in Evanston. I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> they could probably do that for some of their games. Yeah, right. <laughs> you you know what might be kind of cool for them is if they get to like a late game against Wisconsin to go play in Miller Park. Yeah. You know, something like that. But you know, but anyway, I, I thought it was, I, I would, I love the experience. I think most fans did. They seem to be over the moon. I, I met up with like three high school buddies. Uh, one lives in Chicago and I, he texted me before. He's like, Hey, can we say hi? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty limited, but sure. And, and then all of a sudden there was another friend of mine who I hadn't seen in 25 plus years from who lives in New York and another one who lives in Pittsburgh and, and they showed up and then, they're just, and that there were stories all over the place like that. So uh, I thought it was great. 
Yeah, very cool. And uh, not something you like to see like regularly, but once in a while, I think it's kind of nice to uh, to change it up a little bit and give the fans something that they can really embrace because they usually take over Ryan Field, but it's not the same. It's not the same as what happened the other day when you have Wrigleyville and people being able to kind of, you know, interact on the streets and all that other other stuff. From a game perspective, Scott, it was kind of, I don't say the opposite of Minnesota, but the games were similar. And this is the formula, right, that we've talked about now for pretty much most of the season. It's coming down to the fourth quarter. It's a defensive battle. Who makes the plays at the end of the game? Um, Iowa made two huge plays. Ontario Thompson with a second blocked punt. And the key there was Iowa be- being able to score a touchdown. It's only a 25-yard drive, but if you've seen this offense, that's like going 100 <laughs> miles. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, in snowshoes. Uh, <laughs> Both ways. It's uphill both ways. Both ways. <laughs> um, but that was it. And then put in the position like they were at the end of the Minnesota game, punt returns aside, when they had a chance to make a play, they come out right away. Hill hits Nico Ragiini with an eight-yard completion on first down, which was like, holy crap, they got eight <laughs> yards on first down. And then he hits, you know, then a a running play that doesn't work naturally. And then the long pass to Caleb Brown, then three running plays that go for what three yards total. And then the field goal. That's Iowa football in 2023, Scott. What we saw Saturday. That is the, that is the path to, that's the blueprint to victory for Iowa football. Yeah. And you know what's a shame, Rob, is I never felt like they were out of control of the game until they gave up that touchdown. Um, it, I thought that they were the better team defensively. They clearly were the better team offensively. They moved the ball some, um, they made some mistakes and there were some really, there it was a combination of some bad execution with not real good play calling. <laughs> you know, I think I'll be intercepted the, the pass, the interception in the end zone early in the, in the game. That was just, you shake your head at because, um, they had three tight ends on the field. They make Nico Ragaini run all the way across the formation in, in motion, then cut up and then run, you know, 25 yards or whatever it is towards the goal line. And he's not he's not your best fade ball thrower, you know, receiver. He's shorter and and you you know, if you're gonna do that, you're gonna want Vines or you're gonna want Seth Anderson or something like that. But still, when you make a receiver run, basically sprint. But 35 yeah. yards across the field, probably maybe 40 and then cut up another 20. I mean, you're, you're, and then you're going against a defensive back who's not running that same type of play. And then, and then the ball is thrown is kind of 50, 50 ish, but actually more inside where it shouldn't have been thrown. And you're asking a lot out of your players, man, in the wrong spot. So I, I thought that was, you know, you'd probably get a field goal out of that. Um, you know, you had um, Drew Stevens miss a field goal, but that was still a pretty good attempt, I suppose. Hits the goal post. Those are kind of plays you just go, Ugh. although, um, what, three years ago, Caleb Shudak hit the goal post and they lost 21 to 20. Um, that, that one leaves a bigger mark. But <laughs> uh, uh, overall, yeah, I mean, they finally got a scoring drive and then the last one, 
um, big pass, you know, and I know everybody kind of wanted to jump on the Caleb Brown finally did it, you know, it's bandwagon, but I was probably more on the, wow, Deacon Hill finally completed a good pass. That was a bandwagon. Bro, man, that yeah. was like, okay, now I understand what he might look like in practice sometimes. Yeah. Cause he's got a gun. Yep. And, and that's just a, the accuracy. Yeah. It's, uh, and decision making and, and decision making and, not locking in on receivers and, um, you know, probably I would say a release that's not quite Dan Marino-esque or Joe Namath-esque, but, you know, just a lot of different things that are going on. And, and you know, it just seems to not identify receivers very quickly in the pocket. You know, there there's so many different things and it's almost like picking on them. You know, when you start to go down this path and in, in some ways, and I'll bring this up, we haven't done this for a few years, but or a year, but it's almost like with lick lighter, it's like, where do you guys you know, start in <laughs> breaking down this team? There's just so many different problem areas. Yeah. And it's kind of that way with the passing game right now. And, and I don't, it's not going to get better, but you just kind of got to deal with it and, and move on. Yeah. And to that end, um, I know people are still wanting a quarterback change. Um, I, it's certainly not going to happen while they're winning games. That, that that just he's not going to mess with that. It, he's been stubborn. I mean, stubborn's <laughs> maybe not the right word. Set in his ways more, which is kind of stubborn with the quarterback position for twenty five years. I mean, we can go back through it. Uh, mm-hmm. We won't, but we could. <laughs> but I know you guys reported that Marco Linnaeus is working with the second team before that game at Northwestern. Talk to me a little bit about that. What you think is going on here? seems like Joey Labus come December 4th, maybe in the portal. And I don't, yeah. I'm not saying I know that guys, but it just seems like he's not part of the plan. Yeah. You read the tea leaves and why, why would you stay? I mean, why wouldn't you hit the portal at this point? And, and yeah, I mean, we saw Marco, he was working out with the second team. Sometimes it matters. Sometimes it doesn't like in pregame Deontay Craig hasn't taken those snaps in pregame for a little while, a couple of games. And I was like, well, is he hurt or no, he's out there starting. He's playing, you know, just whatever, but this is a little more calculated. And it tells me that if there's going to be a change or if Mark, if Deacon gets hurt, then Marco's your number two. And all along with the way Deacon has performed, if they felt like they could rely on Joey Labus, they would have already made that switch there's just no way you stick with him if you feel like that option's just not there, that you just don't feel like he gives you anything. Cause um, you know, frankly, you know, it's, it's a really tough situation. So um, it makes sense, you know, have Marco out there and um, get him accustomed to it because you don't know when, you know, he might get an owie on his hand and he needs to come out of a game and who's going to go in and what can they do? And, and if Marco's your guy for the future, I mean, hey, they they offered him and got his, um, you know, uh, commitment way in advance, what, two years or so in advance, um, then you're going to want to make sure that, you know, you want you want to see what he has because next year somebody's going to have to be number two. I don't think it's going to be J- Joey Labus. <laughs> well, it'll probably be Deacon, won't it, if yeah, he well, comes back? Yeah, but what if, yeah, but what if Marco is your number two? You know? Yeah, that could be. He could pass Deacon, I guess. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. he, that's certainly with, you know, 
I, I caution my, I caution other people for the, for this all the time. And I should have done it myself. Guys get better in college. You know what I yes, mean? Yes, exactly. Improvement happens and, and it's not linear either. It happens at different rates, but I also think this helps Scott in that the turnstile that we see with the transfer portal at, at, at uh, quarterback, you're telling Marco right now, listen, we really like what we've seen from you since mm-hmm. you've got on campus. We're building you up, you know, we we got you right there behind Deacon. Cade comes back next year. You make progress. We'll kind of see what happens. And it keeps him engaged and keeps him from thinking about, hey, is the grass greener somewhere else? No, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, because you look at um, what's going to happen December 4th, um, you know, whether they play in the Big Ten Championship or not, um, if Joey goes in the portal, they got a bowl to play. And it's going to be at that point, Deacon Hill and Marco and Tommy Paholsky Jr. You know, is your three quarterbacks. And you've got to make sure that you've got your guy ready to go. And, and, and again, I, I look back to, you know, the first performance or two that Deacon Hill had. Um, if they had any faith at all in Joey Labus, he would have been in there. You just can't. But they're dealing with it. They're that this is the path that they've chosen, and right or wrong. And and I think when you look at uh, with Marco, you do want to see more because he was he was more the scout team guy, especially early in the year. Now you want to see him what he, what he can do with Iowa's offense, and and, uh, and and look at this from the big picture. In his case, the guy who recruited him is already gone, Ken O'Keefe. The guy who really picked him will be gone after this year, and Brian Ferentz. So you've got to get him engaged or otherwise he might start looking around whether he's good enough or not. Yeah, no doubt. And like you said, I think logistically it makes sense too, because, Oh, we got an email. Uh, Drew Stevens named Lou Groza award semifinalists. There you go. Yeah. Breaking news that happened before we stopped recording. So that's, yeah. that's always good. Yeah. And I lost my train of thought. So, um, yeah. Let's go with that in mind. Let's go and take a commercial break here and come back and we'll look at the Rutgers game. Support for the podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is sui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the great work in the community for over half of a century and their support of this podcast. We appreciate it a great deal. We're going to hear from a few more sponsors and Scott and I will be back on the other side and we'll dive into Rutgers a little bit and talk some men's and women's hoops. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483. 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. 
Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. We're back on the Hotspot Podcast. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you guys for hanging in there during the break. Scott, you and I took a trip up to Cedar Rapids not long ago to watch a young man pledge his allegiance to the Iowa Hawkeyes. Yesterday, he reversed course. Nick Brooks, big-time prospect, the number one prospect in the state for the class of 2025, Cedar Rapids Kennedy offensive lineman, a host of offers from schools from around the country has reopened his recruitment, Scott. <laughs> when we left that press conference, we, we talked about the possibility of this happening. I'm just surprised it happened so quickly. <laughs> yes, me too. Uh, you know, it's, it's almost to me like, why, why did he go through that? And, and I, I feel like, and I hope you do too, that, Man, we blew a Friday afternoon going all the way up there. Uh, Fridays are precious during football season. I mean, you well, you got to work Friday nights, but it's like, you know, we got a lot to do, you know. And for the charade of let's have a big thing in the the cafeteria, and your parents are there, you you've got I don't know a couple hundred people there watching you pull out an Iowa hat, commit, blah 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 blah, and then. You know, less than two months later, to, to oh, I'm opening up my commitment. I'm going went to Texas Tech, and um, probably now figures to enjoy a lot of the the recruiting trips and wine and dine and all that stuff. But you know, I I don't blame him. You know, I don't blame any recruit. You know, make sure you got the right fit and everything like that. And maybe maybe he was a little. Uh, you know, once he started to feel the love from everybody else, he decided, you know what, I want to start looking around. And, and then, you know, very well could have been Iowa. I have to check, but saying, well, decommit now, go do your thing. And then we'll just talk or something like that. But, but I didn't, I didn't like the vibe of this. I think this is, um, you know, un- really unfortunate because why commit in the first place? If you're just going to do this 55, 58 days later, it just doesn't, it doesn't look good. Let's put it that way. And I'm sure, I'm sure Brian White is not happy about this, you know, at Cedar Rapids Kennedy because they have a real strong connection with Iowa. Of course, his son plays there, but, but, you know, to, to talk to media about him and what he's going to do at Iowa and to go through all this and then back out. It's not, you know, I mean, if he picks Iowa again, he's not going to get this kind of fanfare. There's no way. Yeah, it's so hard. You know, I think it was his 17th birthday, right? The day that he committed when we were there. Yeah. yeah. Young kid. I, we've, you know, it hasn't, hasn't been long since you've had teenagers. I have teenagers. Uh, <laughs> if you have and have or had teenagers, you kind of understand the kind of the, the brain waves and, and what's going on um, and unpredictability. But for Nick, you know, he was going to commit Scott back in the spring to Iowa, and then he backed off that and then did it on his birthday. 
and now has backed off again. But it's just a different landscape now. You've got, obviously, he announced the Colorado offer shortly after decommitting from Iowa. Dion has made it known that they need to improve their offensive line. They've got a shit ton of money in NIL. Um, these are all things that are different parts of the equation now, too, Scott. Because I, I, I'm not going to say Nick Brooks, but just say a, ki- a kid like that commits to you and you have a, a view of him, what, what, how interested you are, how, how big of a part of the, your program you think he can be, what you think his ceiling can be. Then you have to determine how much do we invest in this from NIL when a kid is this highly regarded and has this many options. That's a different thing for Iowa now. They've got to figure out what they go for. And because there's all, I mean, you don't have unlimited funds like Michigan and Ohio State. No. They've done, you know, they've done well in -hmm. football, not not as much in basketball, but they've done well in football for financially. They're going to have to continue to do well because you got the portal coming up. And then you also have, uh, you know, your, your rookie class, uh, you know, I'm going to use NFL terms, free agency and rookie classes, pretty much what these are anymore. And, and for somebody like that, he's got a lot going on. I mean, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't blame him. As you said, you know, 17 year olds, it's like, you've got to have that mentality of either just focusing on what's going on, the task at hand and, or living it up a little bit. And in his case, now all these schools are coming out and Dion. Oh, I, you know, that sounds like fun going out and, you know, get talking to Dion Sanders and getting wowed a little bit there. I mean, looked like he had fun at Texas tech and I'm sure he'll go to a lot of other places too. And um, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, and then, and, it's just weird because, you know, he moved to Georgia and then came, you know, came back, you know, he's like, but Brandon Jacobs was kind of like a, uh, I don't know, you know, like head of a, you know, surrogate father almost for him down there, but got homesick, came back to Iowa, then decided he wanted to play at Iowa. Now he wants to go all these other places. I mean, yes, kids' brains go all over the place, but um I don't know. You know, if you're Iowa, you've got to stay with it, though. You can't just let it go and say, well, eh, we'll just move on. I mean, you know, you don't you had the issue with Caden Proctor and and this kid's actually, you know, you know, 70 miles closer. (laughs) So, you know, and and from a feeders program. So you've got to be really careful here. Yeah. and, uh, And ultimately, if you're Iowa, you want him to make the best decision, too. You don't want to have a kid that's looking, you know, around when he gets to Iowa. Just it's good if this is the way he was feeling, let him back off, let him go through, let him visit, go around the country, compare everything to Iowa. If Iowa's still the place for him, good. If it's not, it wasn't meant to be. Um Scott, I was uh working on my advance this morning um about the Rutgers game and uh we were talking about the blueprint and the setup and the approach for Iowa. This last three-game stretch, and for those that maybe have been living under a rock, if Iowa wins out, it wins the West. Uh, has a one-game lead in the division right now. Um, but the rest of the season sets up nicely for Iowa. Rutgers averaging 26.2 points per game, ranks 72nd nationally in scoring. That's the highest-ranked team offensively that Iowa has on its schedule still. Illinois and Nebraska, uh, they are at 107 and 
15 respectively. And if you were thinking about Iowa, it's 119. So um, <laughs> I expect low scoring games, Scott, and so do the line makers. Last night, 28 and a half point total in this game. Yeah. It's unreal. It's, it keeps getting lower. Every week is like a new record, and this I one know. is a new record. I mean, yep. the, the Minnesota one kind of bounced up, or I mean, uh, Northwestern bounced up a little bit. But yeah, here we are. <laughs> and, 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 you know, part of it is you look at the passing offenses here and the completion percentages. These are what two out of the three in the country that are below 50% completion percentage. Yeah. Um, Iowa's by far the worst, but Rutgers is. You know, when you're going against Iowa secondary, is that the kind of passing offense? I think you really they're considering have? playing with leather helmets on Saturday. That wouldn't be so bad either. You'd probably get less concussions because people wouldn't <laughs> leave with their helmets. <laughs> but um, you know, you know, Rutgers is going to throw only when necessary. That they have a running quarterback. Iowa is going to throw when necessary, and they don't have a running quarterback. And that's something that we've all been like, you know, (laughs) because if you can't throw the ball accurately, you know, how are you going to move the ball? You know, when everybody's, you know, and that's what happened with the Minnesota game. They they just stacked the box. And frankly, Rutgers is a little bit more physical um, and better in most areas than I would say Minnesota is. Um, Granted, they went to Madison and lost, but, you know, the common element in all three of their losses is huge, bad plays on offense. I mean, like pick sixes, yep. you know, Wisconsin towards the end of the half. I mean, uh, Ohio state, Michigan, they all three have these big swing plays offensively. So if they don't make a mistake, they're really a tough team to beat even with out in any kind of a passing game. So, um, I don't know, you know, that, that, that begs me to wonder, you know, Cooper DeGene on offense. He had two plays the other day. They were a glorious two plays. <laughs> and they need to be more. Uh, you know, having him out on an island defensively, is that the best use of his talent, you know, on Saturday? Or is it having him behind center, faking the handoff and uh, and or running? That, to me, might be a little bit more important. Um, and then maybe uh, going with a 4-3, maybe even having Xavier Wampa play in corner, um, something like that. But uh, that's not anything that Iowa does. Yeah, I get no sense at all that Kirk's even considering that or anything like that. I think <laughs> if we get him on offense, it's not going to be a ton, but we have to uh, – revel and frolic in the times we do see him out there like we did on Saturday for those two plays. Hopefully they have a pass play involved. I think um, I, I know teams, and it was funny because if you remember back several weeks ago, PJ Fleck in his press conference leading up to the Iowa game talked about the possibility of Dezine playing offense. So other coaches know that that possibility is there and now they saw it. So now they have to prepare for it. And that's good for Iowa, putting him yeah. in there, however you decide to use him, as long as you utilize him the right way, whether it's decoy or call a play. Scott Howard, concern, you talked about Rutgers' rushing offense. Running, well, uh, the quarterback's a runner. They've got a good running back. They ran for, what was it, 232, 5.4 yards per carry against Ohio State. That's got to have Iowa's attention. 
No question. I mean, they are a really good team. I mean, and they have the leading rusher in the Big Ten and Kyle Monangai. I have a hard time. Uh, I purposely did not say his name, so you would handle that. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a, a stocky, smallish uh, guy that looks to me like he's going to be an NFL player. I mean, you know, and if they have Isaiah Pacheco, who is a nothing draft pick that's turned out to be a really good running back. So I think he's he's in that game, same ballpark. And then, you know, you look at Gavin Wibbs, Winsett, uh, he's not the best. You know, obviously, he's not a very good passer, but he's a good runner. And so they're going to zone read and then he's going to take off. And I was going to have to be very careful about this. And they are kind of physical up front. So this is, this is going to be a serious situation. This is why Noah Shannon would have been really helpful, you know, just from a rotational point of view, he only has 25 snaps or so just to, to be out there because everybody's getting a little bit banged up. But, um, but anyway, it, it's going to be, it's going to be a lot like Northwestern, but they're better. You know, and Northwestern's better than what they were when they played Rutgers. Uh, but you just got to, you know, I, I see Iowa running a lot of 4-3, but, and that they probably should. Heck, I'd run 5-2 if I, you know, go really old school here. But mm-hmm. but then. Run that uh, goal line defense yeah. that they used at Northwestern. Bring Jaden Carroll in. Yeah, a, a 6-4-1. <laughs> That's what it was. It was six linemen, four linebackers, and and Sebastian Castro who might as well be a linebacker. <laughs> Jay Higgins is a freaking gift that yeah. keeps giving. Talking about that goal line stand, he's like, "Yeah, we got the defensive backs off the field. It was great." Yeah, I know he's awesome. <laughs> I love I love Jay Higgins. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, I was considering this, and I think I think you would agree with me. Wouldn't this be the best win for either one of these teams, Rutgers and Iowa, this yeah. season? Yeah, because what's Iowa's right now? Um, Iowa State? Or Wisconsin? Yeah. Wisconsin lost at Indiana? Yeah, Iowa State's 5-4. and They lost to Ohio. So, I mean, um, you know, and then Rutgers, I don't think has beaten anybody. Rutgers, I had this – like I said, I was working on my advance. Um, Yeah, Rutgers, uh, their conference wins have come against Northwestern, Indiana, and Michigan State, who are combined four and fourteen in league play. It lost to the Buckeyes, Michigan, and Wisconsin, who are combined fifteen and three. Obviously, Wisconsin is the owner of those three losses, but mm-hmm. it, it, I think it's a prove-it game for both of these teams. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Iowa is ranked by the College Football Playoff yeah. Committee, and that's an important distinction here. And and Rutgers kind of needs a signature win to validate that step up. And Iowa provides it because if Iowa could win the West, and hey, we beat the best team in the West. And plus Iowa has been a solid and is a solid program. And it shows that, hey, we're on the right trajectory. We went to Iowa City, a tough environment against a physical team that does it exactly like we do, and we won that game. That's what Greg Schiano was thinking because, you know, beating Ohio State or, or Michigan, that's, Either they've got to be really down or you've got to be at your absolute peak level. And that's, that's not, they're not there yet. And, and neither is Michigan or Ohio State, but, but in Iowa is. And, you know, they already went to Wisconsin and they hung other than that pick six. They were right there. And, and so that's what they're thinking that, all right, it's just going to be about toughest teams going to survive this. And, and when you look at them and you look statistically and they played comparable competition, 
other than, you know, they played Wagner and that's not copper, you know, <laughs> that's yeah. not good. But other than that, I mean, they are, they're right there. And one of the things that they do really well is they're number one in the country in kickoff returns. So you yeah, got to saw that. I didn't realize that until I started going through the notes. Yeah. So, you you know, you have that. And, and if you're, you're telling Drew Stevens, kick it out of the end zone. Don't you can do that. that. Yeah. And he should do that. <laughs> Unless it kick it in the wind or something. Yes. Um, 2.30, Saturday, yeah. Kinnick Stadium, Rutgers visiting Iowa. And just to close on that, Scott, I think you make a great point. There are a lot of teams that get to – in, and we've seen this because Kirk's been around so long – teams that come into the Big Ten or new coaches in the Big Ten that are looking to model them, sell, model their program. They to look to Iowa a ton because if you're Rutgers, you can't model yourself after Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State. you got to look at Wisconsin and Iowa. You know, and schools like that, Michigan State, when it has it going, Illinois last year, if Brett Bielema can get those are you're mm-hmm. trying to you're trying to have the success. You're trying to be the top of that tier mm-hmm. now next year when it expands, all that shit goes out the window and then you've got to figure out which tier you're in again. Yeah. But at least right now, Iowa is a model program for for schools like Rutgers. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, Northwestern did it way back when, Another, when Gary Barnett was there, you know, uh, Wisconsin did it, you know, when right. Barry Alvarez went there looking at Hayden Fry and, and you see, you know, Bielema, of course, is going to do it, you know, because he was here and he's also, yep. you know, so it's not hard. Okay. That's, they, they, what they do is something we can do. They develop their guys, they bring them in, they coach them up, they, and then they bring them along. That that makes sense. Um, you can't go to Ohio. You can't say, well, we're going to sign 10 five stars, you know, or whatever, five or whatever they do in Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State and recruit at that level and have a 100,000-seat stadium. And that, that's unrealistic. But what is realistic is looking over at Iowa and saying, okay, in year three and four and five, that's when their linemen really take over, and that's when their players become good. And, and so um, – and, and again, this would be a signature win for Rutgers. And so I'm sure he's thinking about that because now this is the, the trap game for them to some extent. Um, if you think about it, they play Ohio State last week, then they go to Penn State next week, and then they're the greatest rivalry ever. Then they finish with Maryland. <laughs> Throw the Rutgers out the window. Yeah, right. Those two get together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hopefully you don't throw the people out the window. But but you know, this this is a winnable game for them that they believe and they are right. Um it's just the one thing Iowa has done in the past and needs to do again, just like it did last year against Rutgers, is score on defense. <laughs> you know, they had a pick six. Yeah, they had a pick six and they had a uh you know, Castro had a just a thunderous hit that came on Merriweather return for a touchdown. So um, so otherwise it was an even game. <laughs> that's what Iowa needs to do. And of course, that's what Iowa needs to stay away from on offense. Yep. Create your identity, know who you are and lean into it. That's what yeah. Iowa does. That's what Rutgers is trying to do. So definitely a statement game for both of these teams on Saturday. I think it helps Iowa and its legitimacy as being a top 25 team. If it can beat one of the other teams in its tier in the Big Ten right now. So we'll see what happens on Saturday. Do a little quickly do a little basketball here, Scott. Again, folks, we we're not going to spend a lot of time on basketball this time of year. We're going to have all winter to talk about it. And we wanted to dedicate a lot. We had the Noah Shannon and uh the gambling thing today too, which will take away from basketball a little bit. But 
Um, start with the women, Scott. They uh, play Virginia Tech tonight. Big Virginia Tech's ranked eighth. I think what's Iowa third? Yeah, third. So three versus eight. That's uh, seven o'clock tonight. Uh, is it ESPN? ESPN or ESPN two? I can't remember which one. Uh, I can't. I think, I think it's ESPN two. But. Okay. Check your local listings. Uh, yeah. Iowa, a one hundred two to forty six winner over Fairly Dickinson. Fairly ridiculous on Monday. One hundred two forty six. That was in the season opener. I guess one of the more interesting parts of this game, Scott. Um, you know, win, they were going to win that game no matter what, was Sharon Goodman starting over Addison O'Grady, a little bit of a change. I looked this up again, pre-show preparation. Sharon Goodman played 16 minutes. She was 7 of 8 from the floor, 19 points and 4 rebounds. Addison O'Grady played 20 minutes, so 4 more minutes. Again, the game was out of hand. Uh, she was 4 for 9 with 4 rebounds and 3 assists to finish with 9 points. If you combine those two, 28 points, eight rebounds, three assists in 37 minutes. It's Monica Sonano. Yeah. And it's, it's by committee. And that's yep. probably the way they're going to have to do it. Um, because you, you've got, you know, does, does either one have Monica Sonano's skills? Maybe, but not yet, you know, and, and, and I was a little bit surprised too when I saw Sharon Goodman get the, get the start because I thought Addison O'Grady was kind of in there, but you know, that's what a month's worth of practice does that they decide, okay, who's the person. But when you're going to split reps like that, and, you know, who knows, maybe it'll just rotate. And tonight they've got one hell of a task, and of yeah. both of them do. So Maybe that was uh, part of it, getting both of them ready for this. Yeah. I mean, Elizabeth Ketley is uh, legit. Yes, this the ACC Player of the Year. Um, she's really, really good. I mean, she's going to – you're just going to have to hope to contain her. She's – um, not she's, I would say, in that Mackenzie Holmes range, she's a little bit more athletic, but you know, she's a player that they're going to have some issues with, no question. And uh, it's ESPN too, by the way. Um, okay. and uh, Beth Bowens will be on the call, so yeah. you know. <laughs> I don't mind Beth, that's not a, my commentary for yeah. me. She's, I don't, she doesn't bother me at all, but I know she gets under the Gets under the skin of some of the Hawkeye fans. Right? Yeah, so you can always watch the Bears on Amazon Prime. But... Don't make it personal, people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, but this is a huge test for them. And and you look at their early schedule, Rob. I mean, it's it's full of tests. I mean, you know, going to UNI won't be all that easy. No. I mean, Kansas State beat them last year, and they come here next week. They go to, you know, they have Drake and Drake took them to overtime last year. So, um, you know, and, and eventually then they start playing Iowa State and stuff. So they're getting tested and it's good for them because this is a great team and they need these opportunities. And when, whatever happens tonight, it will be important for them to learn from, win or lose. Um, but obviously they're going there to win. And I think a win puts them number one next year. Yeah. Week. After LSU's uh, debacle. <laughs> Yeah, they didn't. It was more like this. Colorado was a good team. It wasn't yeah. as big of an upset as some people make it out to be, but it was an upset. And well, maybe foreshadows a crazy season in women's college basketball because I think there are a lot of good teams that could compete for this thing, Scott. They, they didn't see it coming, Rob. That was the, that was the whole thing there. Uh, you know, and, uh, you know, I know there were a lot of – uh, bummers from Iowa fans. <laughs> seeing that, you know, because Iowa beat Colorado was Sweet 16, right? 
Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, last year and, and they were a pretty good team. I thought they played hard and um, Iowa had a phenomenal game, of course, but um, yeah, that, that's uh, it does foreshadow. I mean, whether it's UConn or Iowa, you know, moving up, it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a really entertaining year. And tonight is just another example of that. Yes, no doubt. And uh, as Scott said, ESPN two at seven o'clock, check that out. Um, before we get to our picks, we'll hit on men's basketball a little here a little bit. Tuesday night, I was at Carver. Hawkeyes opened the season with a 110 to 68 victory over North Dakota. And uh, pretty good balance, Scott, really balanced scoring, uh, which was nice to fr- see. Uh, Owen Freeman, just tremendous off the bench, the freshman uh, from Moline, 15 minutes. He scored 14 points. Uh, that's productive. Uh, yeah. And then everybody else kind of chipped in. And I think that's kind of what we're going to need to see from this team this year. Obviously, they're going to face better competition uh, than North Dakota starting next week at Creighton. Uh, uh-huh. will be Number eight Creighton will be the first big test. But this is, that, this is a team, Scott, I think if it makes it back to the tournament, is going to be a team um, – who is going to need that? It's going to need contributions from all, from you know seven, eight, nine guys every night, and they're going to be nights where you know Peyton Sanford's the guy, or maybe Tony Perkins or Patrick end up being the leading scorer. It's just not a team built like it's been recently, where you have you know one of the Murrays or Luca Garza. This is a team that I think has to be you know what's it? The sum is greater than the the parts or some, whatever that stupid saying is, um, that's kind of what this team is. Yeah, for sure. Cause there's a lot of question marks here, Rob, and, and I'm not, and I think they have some talent and I like some of their younger players. And I think they're going to be good contributors, but for the most part, all these guys uh, that have been here have been contributors, not necessarily stars. I mean, Patrick McCaffrey may be at the top of the list and Tony Perkins, but they're still, they've been kind of pieces. They've either, they've been inconsistent at times. Uh, DeSante Bowen finally, you know, last year, where was he? You know, everybody kind of had him written off by mid season. Then he kind of played a little bit late. And uh, Ben Cricky is, uh, you know, it was really good, but that was in the Valley. You know, and he's going to be good in these games, but, you know, what's he going to be like when he's going against Big Ten operations? And, you know, Peyton Sanford has had a lot of really big shots already in his young career, but, um, you know, and I expect that to continue. But but then you start to look at the at the freshmen, you know, um, you know, Owen Freeman and Brock Harding, you know, do they make pushes to get really meaningful minutes? Uh, Dembala is, how do you spell it? Dembala? Dembele. He's got a really big physique and, you know, I think he's going to be really impactful and, and Josh Dix, you know, as he continues to, you know, I think now the, the broken leg is kind of in the rear view mirror, but you know, he's, you know, he's still also coming on. So, and of, and of course, price Sanford, you know, as well. So there's a lot of pieces here. They're going to have to play this way until they kind of organically figure out who's kind of the, the the main scorer, who's going to be kind of the main reserves. You can't really force it. You got to let it kind of settle before you really let it, you know, before it gets forward. And, you know, it was a good first game for Iowa. They needed that. Uh, tomorrow night they're going to get another one that's going to be in the same ballpark, if not even more or less competitive um, against Alabama State. But, you know, as you said, you know, getting getting it right for Creighton is going to be um, – that's going to be a telling game, kind of like Virginia Tech for Iowa women. 
more so here with Creighton because, you know, the, the, nobody's predicting a win with that. Um, you're just going to have to hope that they can, um, you know, compete, have players step up and figure out, okay, is DeSante Bowen really going to be your guy or are you going to have to start really looking at, you know, maybe Harding has got to figure it out. We saw that before, like with um, when it was Christian Williams and, and Jordan Bohannon, you mm-hmm. know, that, you know, it took them some, took them time, took them a month. And, and that's why you have these games early, you know, and then you start to figure out, okay, what's next. I, I liked what I saw from Bowen the other night. Again, you have to put it in context to the competition, but he looked much more under control, um, much more uh, involved in running offense instead of freelancing sometimes, but knew when to freelance. They played four guys at the point the other day. Um, yeah. You know, Bowen started, Josh Dix played some point, Tony Perkins played some point, and then as Scott mentioned, Brock Harding. So they're still figuring that position out, and we'll see what happens. Yeah. As we go down the road here. Yeah, Alabama State tomorrow night, 7 o'clock at Carver. Uh, also, I wanted to mention this before we get to our picks. Women's soccer, Big Ten tournament yeah. champions, will host an NCAA tournament game tomorrow night, 6 o'clock over at the Iowa Soccer Complex. If you're unfamiliar, it's over by the Hall of Fame there. Um, 6 o'clock against Bucknell. So if you're in town for football, check out men's basketball, check out the soccer, whatever. There's stuff going on tomorrow night. So if you're in town and don't get a chance to see some other Iowa sports sometimes other than football, check it out. Let's get to the pick, Scott, as much as I hate to uh, hear. Well, you already told me before we started recording <laughs> last week. So let the audience know how bad I sucked. All right. Well, you were two and five. I was, uh, three and four. It wasn't a banner week for either one of us. That's for sure. We're supposed uh, to get better as the season yeah. goes on, not worse. Yeah. Well, we're getting, we're picking up all these little dings and injuries and, and stuff. Um, you know, we both were right on Ohio State and Penn State's wins. Uh, we both lost like Minnesota. Ouch. You know, minus three. We both picked the mighty gophers. Um, we both picked Iowa minus five and a half, you know, and, and we both picked Michigan and that was kind of a lackluster game, but minus 31 and a half is tough in the big 10 sometimes yep. teams. And then uh, we both also picked Nebraska foolishly, as I always say to myself. Um, <laughs> and then finally we split on, and I, I had Indiana, you had Wisconsin. and Yeah, thanks to Wisconsin and, and uh, Nebraska for being the first teams to lose to Michigan State and Indiana in the Big Ten this season. They won, they <laughs> both lost to winless teams. Yes. Um, it doesn't – any kind of the argument or po- you know something I want to make about the Big Ten West – um, goes out the window when these games happen. You just can't even, no. uh, you can't even say, well, yeah, but other than the other three, you know, it's no, no, you can't even do that because these teams are garbage. And last week we walked in here, Rob, and it was, uh, and we had a four way tie atop the top of the West. And now it's a one team top of the West, but that can change this weekend. Yep. So uh, first thing is up, we've got the, the battle of the eyes here. Uh, Indiana at Illinois. Illinois is a six and a half point favorite. Um, the over under is um, 43 and a half. Uh, I, I'm going to go with Indiana. I, I mean, I, I think Illinois might win, but I'm going to pick Indiana to at least cover on this. Is that in Champaign? Yeah, it's in Champaign. Five and a half, you say? 
Six and a half. Six and a half. I can't give that many points with Illinois' offense. Yeah. I'll, I'll go Indiana. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're probably the most dangerous of the offenses left for Iowa, which speaks to the team. <laughs> yeah, that is not a very strong endorsement, Scott. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> they, you know, they have an old friend, and we'll talk about him next week, you know, Caden Fagan, and and that they try to recruit pretty hard. And then they also – They're going to see a couple good running backs the next two weeks, no doubt about that. Yeah, and then they also play – uh you know, Isaiah Williams for Illinois is probably the best receiver that they've got. Mm-hmm. You know, at least until the until they play Marvin Harrison or <laughs> yeah. Roman Wilson in the Big Ten championship game, if they do make it there. Um here's here's the one where you just throw up your hands and go, why, God, why? Maryland at Nebraska. Maryland is a two and a half point favorite at Nebraska, which who would have ever dreamed that been the case when they both were admitted to the Big Ten? 45 and a half, or 45, I'm sorry, is the over under here. I, I, I can see this so many different ways. I'm going to go with Maryland. I, I don't know. Quarterback. They got a quarterback. They've got a passing game. They have stumbled all over themselves. So it's not a, I'm not really happy to pick them, but I, I would have picked gladly taken Nebraska, but they did the same thing last week. So. I'm going to take Maryland and and say stay away from this. Do not go to the casino or your app to bet on it. Yeah, this is goofy. That line's goofy. This game is goofy. Doesn't even seem like a Big Ten game. Uh, I'm going to take the home team here, just throwing a dart. Um, you know, one team's traveling halfway across the country. I think Nebraska, its defense can at least slow Maryland a bit. So. That that's my uh that's my reasoning for this, but really I'm just throwing it dark. You know, it's it's so weird because yes, I could see Nebraska finally sacking up and all of a sudden, all right, you know, and they win thirty one to seventeen and look good doing it. And all right, they're back. The, you know, black shirts are back. They'll lose next week. Yeah, and then they'll lose <laughs> to Wisconsin. I mean, they do it every every other game here, but anyway, that's just um, Minnesota at Purdue minus one and a half for the Boilers at home, uh, 46 and a half as the, uh, over under, um, I'm going to take the home team and this is goes contrary to what I really think. Desmond King is going to be the honorary captain, by the way, on Saturday. Um, nice. Yeah. Just got released, but I'm going to take Purdue at home against Minnesota. It makes no sense, but neither does the big 10 as a whole. So I'm going to take the Boilers. I'm going to go up Minnesota. Okay. <laughs> I really don't have a reason why, just to feel. Yeah. I mean, Minnesota should have won last week and blew it. Yeah, I, think Back, I, can't, I can't figure out the teams in the Big Ten West. Yeah. I mean, it was they were up by, what, five uh, with like a minute and a half left, and Illinois had to go the length of the field, and they did it with a backup quarterback. Yep. Um, and out of like a 50-yard touchdown pass. So just insanity wrapped in insanity. Um Next one, Northwestern at Wisconsin. Wisconsin minus 10 and a half, and the over-under is 42 and a half. Rob, I don't know. I'm going to take Northwestern to cover. I think I think Wisconsin wins, but I think um, Northwestern might make it uh, a close game. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I'll take the 10 and a half. I ain't throwing 10 and a half with any team in the Big Ten West, man. None of the the offenses are good enough to throw 10 and a half points. Exactly. It's just, it's, 
I don't know. You know, Wisconsin, you know, if that, if Braylon Allen is healthy and maybe if Tyler Mordecai was there and they were throwing the ball better than they should, then you'd think, ah, they got a shot now. I don't know. <laughs> After losing to Indiana, I'm, you know, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt anymore. Uh, Michigan State at Ohio State is the primetime game on NBC. Ohio State minus 31 and a half at home against uh, the Sparties. And I'm going to throw the points. I mean, I know the Sparties came up and had a big, nice win against uh, Mighty Nebraska last week. But I think uh, in Ohio State, you know, of course, you know, had a struggle there with with Rutgers. But I think this one could be one of those 48 to nothing at halftime type of deals. I feel like this is deja vu of the Michigan game last week because that point spread was 31 and a half in that game and they didn't cover. But I'm going to go back to the well and throw the 31 and a half with the superior team here, but would not be surprised at all if Michigan State gets like a backdoor, keeps it within 30. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, it's 38 to nothing, and then they score with a minute yeah. to go to make it 38 to seven, and then they cover, you know, yep. something stupid like that. But, you know, here, here's what's really interesting is it opened at 68, and it closed, and at least it was yesterday, 47 and a half. I mean, the, the drop on the over under is. They dropped 20 points? 20, yeah, 20 wow. and a half. Yeah. That is rare. Yeah. I've never seen anything like that before. So, um, uh, Here's the game of the day and maybe game of the season part two out of three. Michigan at Penn State. Michigan is a five and a half point favorite and the over under is 45 and a half. Um, you know what? I'm going to take the upset. I'm give me the five and a half and I'm going to take Penn State Nittany Lions uh, to, to cover here and possibly win outright. Yeah, hey, I'm with you. I don't, I don't know if they pull off the upset and throw things in the disarray in the, in the East. Um, but I think they cover that five and a half. Yeah. So they, they play much better at home than they do on the road. I was looking at uh, Drew Aller's stats. He completes 71% at home and like 54% on the road. Wow. And, and uh, you know, Michigan's, uh, you know, if they were playing in Ann Arbor, I probably would be like, eh. yeah. That number would be a lot higher. Yeah, it'd probably be 10 or so or nine and a half or something like that. But, And then the game we're covering, Rob, the, the over-under is four. No, <laughs> it's uh, 20, 20 and a half. First one to three. Yeah, first, first points wins. It's sudden death. And uh, we'll all be here for five quarters. But uh, 28 and a half. Iowa they have here is, uh, last I saw, point and a half. That's I, what I saw too. Okay, it was – Five and a half, I think, it opened, and then it went down to, to a point and a half. This is a really dangerous game here. Um, I, I Everything in is telling me pick Rutgers, pick Rutgers, pick Rutgers. But then you start to go, yeah, but Iowa's got something too. Iowa's not just some team that rolls over. They've won 12 out of the last 15, and they're playing at home. And uh, so I'm going to – Take Iowa, but not feel great about it. I will reluctantly join you in that selection, um, but I think it's going to be this way the rest of the season with yeah. the Iowa games. They're going to be tight point spreads and toss up games that can yeah. go either way. I don't, I don't think you're going to be. Ma- I don't think you're going to be retiring betting on these games because now the odds makers have pushed the over under totals to the ridiculously historically low levels that you, it's going to be hard to even play that moving forward. Yeah. 
Right. I know. I mean, it was kind of funny, you know, for, throughout the whole season, it's been this, uh, you know, limbo (laughs) game of, you know, you're rolling under, you know, everything. And, uh, and so (laughs) let me throw you out some trends here, Scott, like I do like to do each week, um, for this game, for the Iowa game, Rutgers is six, one and two against the spread in its last nine games. The total has gone over in four of Rutgers' last five games. The total has gone under in five of Iowa's last six games. And this one's really good. Um, the Hawkeyes are 15-1 and one straight up in their last 16 games played in November. Yeah. And the only loss was Nebraska yep, last, last year, year. When, when everybody was hurt. So, um Anyway, yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is going to be fascinating. But grab I, your, hey, grab your asses, everybody, because it's going to be another edge of your seater. I think on Saturday, yeah. coming down to the end of the game, and be loud. Yeah, give, give Iowa the home field advantage because that's that could be a big part of Saturday, no doubt about it. Uh, Pre snap penalties on Rutgers, yeah. things like that. You can affect this game, Hawkeye fans. Yeah, that is for sure. Absolutely. I mean, if Torrey Taylor dumps one at the three-yard line and they can't hear the snap count in the north end zone and it's offsides or somebody doesn't get the, you know, doesn't hear the the snap and then somebody goes around the edge, that could be a safety, you know, and that could be the difference, one and a half points. It could be 12 to 10 that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Four to three. Yeah, four three, three. To two, something like that. Oh, if only. All right, folks. Well, we appreciate you listening to this. Got to get Scott, Scott out of here so he can do his next podcast here in 20, 20 minutes with Chad Lysico. Say hi to Chad for me. Hopefully he's I will. week. Haven't seen him in a couple of days. But uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the podcast. We appreciate our sponsors more than they know, so we appreciate them supporting this podcast on the Hawk Fanatic feed. And uh, Scott, I'll be back to talk to you next week. Until then, say goodbye, Scott. Goodbye, Scott.